It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important story. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued, you have purpose. Today's Drive for Excellence, take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, you were made for this moment. Thank you to this team that I get to work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. And uh, thank you to just, Steve, you're you're just pretty top-notch. Happy Monday to you. Oh, my gosh. I'm not sure how to handle all this, <laughs> especially on a Monday, a marvelous Monday. Uh, and it always takes a little extra to get it moving. Yeah, but here we are. And uh, boy, before we know it, the two hours will be over. But uh, check out my website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. My friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights, property, freedom, livelihood, uh, opportunity, or lives via force, whether with a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, or the World Economic Forum, Davos Globalist Elite's agenda. And Steve, I was wondering if I should add one more word into that, and that is manipulation. Or do you think coercion and manipulation are close enough? I go back to uh, the motivation behind the manipulation, and then that becomes coercion. Okay, so maybe we just stay with coercion on that. Yeah. uh, There's plenty. I mean, I hate to split hairs, but, you know. Yeah, what, no, what's I, what's really going on, you know, behind the scenes? Right. And it is manipulation. And, you know, the, one of the reasons I bring it up is uh, I'm traveling this week and I've been listening on tape to RFK Jr.'s book on uh, Anthony Fauci. And, oh, my gosh, and you talk about manipulation that has moved into coercion. So that's the reason that I, I bring it up is because... Um, uh, I guess the two are, are, are very related, but the coercion is um, a product of the ma- manipulation, I guess, is what you're saying. Well, there's two. You know, you're talking about Fauci. And then last week with uh, Susan Kochvar, we talked about Deborah Burks. There's two uh, <laughs> flaming stars. I, I don't know what else to I'll be nice here uh, in this whole thing that we've gone to, through in the last two plus years now. And you wonder if if we could go back or if they had it to do all over again, if, you know, the the big guy, Trump, would have included those two in the, you know, in the debacle as it, as it unfolded. Well, it's, you know, it's really hard to know because there was such an unknown there. And uh, as RFK Jr. in his book is done so much research and there were so many people that were doing research and uh, Fauci and Burks and company, but Fauci really, they continue to make, um, make um, decisions to try to tap down anything that would be 
a, a treatment that would be competitive with big pharma's much more expensive uh, products, such such as tapping down hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And uh, uh, so it's just really remarkable to see the manipulation that was going on to try to coerce and force the American people to get the jab. And, uh, boy, it's, it's a riveting book. It really is. Well, I don't want to get out in front of you. You haven't talked about quote of the day, but there's some things here right at the top of the package that maybe we could discuss in the next couple minutes once you take care of other house cleaning here. Well, I was thinking about that, although we're going to have Matt Dark on tomorrow. So, oh. so I'm thinking we might move that over there because uh, he's with Roots Medical. So I thought we might move those over there. Ah. We'll see if we, we, we get to him because we've got a jam-packed show planned for you. So let, let's go ahead to get, and get to our quote for the day, and then we'll explain why we chose Mike Ditka. And Mike Ditka is an American former football player, coach, and television commentator. He's a, a member of both the College and Pro Football Halls of Fame. And he was a UPI NFL Rookie of the Year in 1961, a five-time Pro Bowl selection, and a six-time All-Pro tight end with the National Football League's Chicago Bears, then with the Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Cowboys. Uh, He was born in uh, 1939. And he said this. He said, losers quit when they're tired, and winners quit when they've won. And I love that quote, Steve. Yeah, so do I. I mean, it speaks well. And... It, it is ultimately the right motivation, the right, uh, you know, goal. And so the reason I pull that is, first of all, I saw this headline this weekend that said Chicago's richest man is taking his $22 billion company to Florida. And one of the reasons, it says, the, for one surprising reason, and the reason is because of crime, Steve. And um, so they're picking up... Uh, um, you know, stakes and they're moving to Florida. And uh, then the other thing is, and I had not seen this, you said the Bears are moving out of Soldier Field and uh, wanting to uh, or wanting to. And uh, of course, what Lori Lighthouse, Lightfoot, <laughs> she's not a lighthouse. <laughs> she's not <laughs> a beacon you, of anything, no. <laughs> you know what? I just realized we should actually change her name from Lori Lightfoot to Lori Heavyfoot. Yeah, she's been also been got caught up in some kind of a issue with, with any time she goes anywhere in the city, she ends up speeding and blowing through school crossings and stuff like that. So anyway, the, the other thing regarding the Chicago Bears, I don't have all the details, but the high level view is that they're signaling that they're kind of fed up being in that area of the city around Soldier Field because of the crime. And they they want to head for the suburbs. So she jumps in and puts together a a big package of incentives, and they could go into the billions. That's billions with a B. But the Bears came back and says, no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Well, and where is all that money coming from? I mean, taxes are so high in Illinois and Chicago already. Where is that money going to come from? But, uh, yeah, this crime thing, they've not kept the city safe. And so this is um, this uh, I think it's King Griffith. He's uh, the uh, own Citadel. And it says Citadel officials cited crime as one critical reason for the move to Florida. According to a report over the last few years, there have been multiple incidents inviting Citadel, excuse me, involving Citadel employees. King Griffin himself experienced an attempted carjacking. A Citadel employee was stabbed while walking to work. And there have been numerous reports of shootings, riots and looting near some employees' homes. 
And it says King Griffin has been outspoken about how crime has affected his employees. In a recent interview, he said, if people aren't safe here, they're not going to live here. I've had multiple colleagues mugged at gunpoint. I've had a colleague stabbed on the way to work. Countless issues of burglary. I mean, that's a really difficult backdrop with which to draw talent to your city from. And then it goes on to say, the billionaire's move will cause significant financial hardship. According to one report, Citadel has around 1,000 employees in and around Chicago, and Griffin's company has accounted for billions of tax dollars to the local and state economy. Griffin has personally given more than $600 million to Chicago-based political and charitable organizations. And it says Citadel's announcement is another blow to Illinois, which has lost three major corporate headquarters in the last year. Boeing is moving its operations to Virginia, Caterpillar is moving its headquarters to Texas, and Citadel is now heading to Miami. Florida. And Steve, this is one of the things that is so beautiful about the American idea about our fed, our our federalist our fed, our system of federalism where um how it is supposed to work out is the federal government has limited powers and then the powers that in the constitution that are not relegated to the federal government go to the states and go to the people and that way you have all these states which are different petri dishes on policy and then you will see the the states with good policy so that means lower taxes making sure their communities are safe so tougher on crime they're doing better and so even and i would imagine that you know certainly there's um people from all political aisles probably with this company but they want to go someplace where they're safe. They want to go someplace where they keep more in their pocket. And that's the great thing about decentralizing power and having all the different states compete with each other in a free market. And then you will see. I mean, it's not an easy thing for a company to pick up stakes and move to another state. It's not an easy thing for a football team to move to a new location. But when it gets so bad, as Jefferson said, when it finally gets so bad, and I'm paraphrasing, finally people will do something about it. And that's what we're seeing here in America. So that is why these elections are so important, because um, the the uh, radical activists that have taken over the Democrat Party, actually the Democrat Party has always, always really moved to centralizing power, I think, more in the federal government. And we can see that it's a very dangerous thing if you have just a few people making a decision instead of more people making a decision, Steve. Well, okay, these situations uh, in in and around Chicago that you have highlighted here, it, it is a double-edged sword. I mean, the safety and the well-being of the people that make up the company, but also then you said the taxation aspect of it. Why right. why would companies just hunker down and say, well, we'll, we'll just tough it out? Well, for how long? Right. Well, quite frankly, it's two different kinds of, of theft. You've got uh, getting mugged on the way to work, and you're getting mugged by uh, Chicago and the state of Illinois and also the you know federal government, all their taxes, uh, and, and your paycheck. It's just legalized theft there. And I'm not saying that we don't have taxes. I think we all agree that there... Uh, you know, there should be taxes for just what government is supposed to do. But government is so far out of its lane. I mean, I don't think government should be doing, you know, like school lunch programs. And I mean, I remember as a kid, I didn't like the food. Most of it goes in the trash. Uh, That's not the federal government's business. That's not what they're supposed to do. It's not in the Constitution. But Steve, I'm excited. I'm seeing little glimmers of 
of hope of, uh, well, of course, there was the Supreme Court decision on West Virginia versus the EPA. That is a really big deal to start to pull power back that's been abdicated by Congress over to uh, the executive branch and these um, ABC uh, bureaucracy. So I'm seeing little glimmers of hope, but my gosh, we're in a tough, tough spot right now here, Steve. Well, I'm, I'm, we're talking about Chicago, but then I bring it home mm-hmm. to here and these blue cities and their decline. I mean, mm-hmm. earlier this year, we saw that uh, list of Americans' most livable cities and Denver was at 14 and drops down to 53. Why? How? And why it's, isn't the local media pressing the mayor saying, hey, what's up with right. this? Absolutely. And that is a real problem when media doesn't do the job that they're supposed to do. And uh, on, in here on uh, Patty's headlines, there was one on San Francisco that they have now issued a um, what emergency um, order regarding uh, mo- monkeypox, as I'm calling it, monkeypox. And uh, once again, these emergency orders... Um, you know, take away power from the individuals. They use these crises to uh, take and take more and more power from us. A lot of people are waking up, though. So here it is. State, oh, state of emergency in San Francisco is declared over mo- a monkeypox spread. Hmm. And um, uh, I find it so interesting. We saw that other headline that said that America had the most uh, monkeypox cases, which, you know, I... I, I find that a little hard to believe. Well, but uh, once again, they want to gin up, gin up everybody, get them scared, and then start to use these emergency uh, yes. uh, orders, state of emergency yes. again. So I don't know that it's pertinent to track the number of days to the uh, midterms, but ironically, today is 99 days until the midterms. And you look what they're doing in San Fran and, and in other places with trying to drum up some level of fear over something. And... and yeah, you wonder how that uh, might possibly affect this next election. So stay tuned on that. Um, we're going to go to break. We've got a great show planned for you today. In this first hour, we're going to be talking with Kane, and uh, he is the founder of Task Force Freedom. And he is really connecting people, educating people about what is happening in these government-run schools. It's, it's uh, very important that we understand what's going on and take action. So we'll talk with him in the second segment. In third and fourth segment of this first hour, Greg Lopez, a candidate for governor, has sent a letter to a number of different county clerks regarding these risk-limited audits that they're supposed to be doing, which is supposed to assure that we have free, fair, honest, and transparent elections. So he's going to give us an update on that. And then in the second hour, Joshua Scharf, um, who has written a really important piece for Complete Colorado, he really watches a lot of the public employee pension plans, PARA in particular, and he'd written a, an important essay regarding uh, inflation and these public employment pension plans and also how that's going to affect you so he will be our feature guest in the second hour and of course call ins that last segment want to hear from you 303-477-5600 303-477-5600 show the show comes to you because of all of your support and because of these great uh, uh, partner sponsors that i have and one of them is hooters restaurants uh, they have five locations loveland westminster aurora lone tree and colorado springs and they have, uh, Monday through Friday, a great hamburger special with all these kind of specialty kind of hamburgers that you can get. They're $11 and a great place to get together with friends, watch sports. Uh, football's around the corner f- for those of us 
Well, actually, I probably won't be watching football, but um, hopefully everybody will be standing for the national anthem. That would be a good thing for the NFL to start to make sure that the the people stand for the national anthem. Funny. And maybe they'll get some of these people to come back and watch the sh- watch the game. Funny you would bring that up. Uh, the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin, basically laid down the law. Says, you will not be kneeling on my field anymore. You are athletes, not activists. Aha. And so, uh, so if you're going to watch any sporting events, uh, uh, Hooters Restaurants is a great place to do it, but just a great place to get together with friends as well. So we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Kane, founder of Task Force Freedom. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. In a healthcare setting, informed consent provides that you, the patient, will have a say in your healthcare plan. This collaboration between you and your healthcare provider applies to most medical procedures, including vaccination. Informed consent is a legal and ethical obligation of your healthcare provider and should include the benefits, risks, and alternatives regarding the proposed treatment. Informed consent is not just your signature, it could be your life. This message is sponsored by Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom.com. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, on the line with me is Kane. He is the founder of Task Force Freedom, which is a group um, active up in northern Colorado. And it's focused on informing people, activating people to understand what is happening in our government-run schools, what's happening in our culture to our children, uh, both regarding CRT, which is critical race theory, or it has different names, but basically dividing people into groups to pit the groups against each other. And the other is um, the LGBTQ uh, agenda uh, and how they are targeting, targeting our children. So, Kane, welcome to the show. Good morning, Kim Munson. <laughs> Great to have you. And uh, first of all, we had Aaron Lee on with uh, Rick Turnquest on Friday. And you had connected me with Aaron. She is a courageous mother whose uh, 12-year-old daughter was targeted by a um, uh, homeroom teacher, her art teacher for, quote-unquote, air quotes, art class. And it turned out that it was actually an LGBTQ indoctrination um, group. And uh, Aaron has been courageous in going out and informing people about what is what is occurring. And uh, you are are working with her. You you've got an event I think coming up with her, correct? Yes, we do. But first, let me make my announcement. I am a proud American Negro. 
<laughs> and at uh, Task Force Freedom, we are. We're fighting against these evil demons that are forcing our kids to view everything through the prism of race, and they're sexualizing little kindergartners. But uh, Aaron and I are now, uh, we're doing um, seminars. We're going from county to county to tell the people the truth and show them how to fight back against CRT and the sexual grooming of our kids. And so on Wednesday, uh, this Wednesday uh, from 6 p.m. to 8.30, we'll be at New Horizon Christian Church in um, Decano, and that's 701, I think it's Carbondale in Decano. And so that's from 6 until 8.30 on Wednesday evening. Uh, we also have another guest speaker. Her name is uh, Sonia Miller, and she'll be talking about um, information on vaccinations and masks and that type of thing. So, Okay, and that's this uh, this Wednesday night, 6 to 8.30 in Decono, and at the New Horizons Church, you said. And uh, you've been doing... You've been doing a number of these uh, presentations uh, with a variety of guests um, to inform people. How's the reception been from people? Actually, it's been pretty, it's been very good. I mean, p- people are very appreciative uh, for to finally hear the truth. Um, um, we, are, we are under the tyrannical control of these insane uh, Marxists, Communists. I mean, I don't know what else to call them. I mean, I think um, I think we need to pay attention to what they're doing to the entire country. Um, they want they they want white people um, to be seen as oppressors, and they're using black and brown people as the weapons. The Caucasian race is under attack. Yes, this is a Negro saying this. The Caucasian race is under attack. If we lose this culture, if we lose the Western culture, I don't care what your designation is, black, brown, pink, green, gay, lesbian, we will lose our country, and then we will lose the world. They are going after our freedoms. Just look around, and you can see what they're doing at every turn. Um, They're also using our children to make sure they want to secure their future with their tyranny by forcing these babies to become compliant, to change their sex, to hate one another. They are securing, they're trying to secure their future. These tyrannical Marxists are trying to secure their future by harming our babies. And it's time for us, blacks, whites, browns, to stand up and fight back. So, Kane, when somebody first hears this, uh, many times the question is, why? Why are these people doing this to our children? Why? Why? How do you answer that why question? Um, I think the why is it's simply for control. It's control. These these are not, um, and I'm not just talking about Democrats. They're rhinos that have the same views. These are not patriots. These people dislike our country. I will prove it to you. Barack Obama, the first worst white president we have ever had, served two terms. I call him white because his skin is brown, but his mom is white, right? So he's white. Horrid, horrible president. 
tell me one time he has stood up and said to the folks in these inner cities that are run by Democrats, you people, you stop killing. I want I challenge anyone that is under the sound of my voice, you tell me one time that this man, the leader of the free world, one time that this Marxist moron has ever stood up and with the power and authority that he had and said to these inner cities and said to his mayors that were Democrats, we're going to stop the killing. We're going to stop these Negroes from killing these babies. Never once has he done it. The reason is, is their, it is the, their beta trial, which is, I believe, what they did to the black community. We're going to show, we're going to prove that we can destroy the country, and we're going to start with Negroes, and we're going to give them money, and we're going to take away their fathers. And then we're going to see what happened. We'll take a look at what happened. 50% of all violent crimes are committed by Negroes. 50%. You know- that was done on purpose. And what are they doing today? Back in the 60s, 80 percent of black people had a mom and dad. Today, I believe it's 18. What are they doing today to the white culture? The same exact thing. OK, so we talked about Chicago in the first segment, and apparently the Bears are um, possibly pursuing moving uh, their uh, they're stating they're going to play in Arlington Heights instead of Chicago, so moving out of Soldier Field. And one of the reasons is because of crime. And then also just uh, had mentioned that one of their, um, their one of the richest guys in Chicago is moving his company to Florida. So I just pulled up, when you mentioned this, Chicago shootings, this was one day ago, 33 shot, three fatally, and weekend violence across the city. And so when you bring up Barack Obama, it seems like instead of trying to divide us, uh, these pe- people that are, are caught in these inner cities, we, instead of exporting crime to the suburbs, and, and, and which we've we've seen with all these DAs, and you know our cities are are becoming less safe, and that crime is going to the suburbs. Instead, we should want to try to import safety and and education to our, our uh, inner cities as well. But this targeting in government-run schools that you're talking about is, is also occurring in our inner city schools as well. And so our kids are not learning to read and write and do arithmetic and, and critical thinking and all this because money and school time is going to these agendas and um, pitting our kids against each other. It's a very dangerous, dangerous thing. So what you're doing with Task Force Freedom informing people, motiv- motivating them to take action. What would you, um, you know, say it, as you've done this work, Kane? and when did you start doing this work? We actually started uh, back in November of 2021. And uh, we, get, we gained some legs uh, around January or February. Um, and, and, and thanks to uh, Perspective 101, that's where I was able to... Um, give my first speech on how we can fight back and what's really happening to our kids in these schools. But let me say this before I move on. Take your children out of these government schools. It cannot be fixed. Actually, it's not broken. It's corrupt. It's corrupt from the top to the bottom. Take them out. At some point, you're going to find out how bad your child has been damaged. Take them out now. Make the sacrifice. There is suffering. 
you can do homeschooling. We met with um, the organization called Check on Friday, myself and my coordinators, and such an amazing organization. It's called um, it's Christian, uh, Christian Home Educators Home of Colorado. Yes, right. ma'am. Have programs. They have a full packet that will take a parent and show them start to finish how to start a homeschool. We also have Task Force Freedom and our coordinators that will that will hold your hand and help you get through this process. Uh, we are also looking at um, locations where we can help um, teachers start their own micro school uh, schools, and we're looking at two locations to do that. The biggest deal is to take your kids out of here. It does two things. One, it saves your kids, and two, ultimately, eventually, it'll take the money away from the schools. I've been doing this for almost 12, 10 months now, nine months, and you would be shocked at what these cockroaches have done. They have created policy, and Kim, I know you know this, they have created, created um, assigned house bills that protect them against us, we the people, where they get to do their dirt, they get to commit their, what I consider crimes, and they write policies to protect themselves against us. And I would say to you administrators, and you cockroaches out there in these different districts, we will never go away. We patriots will never, ever allow you to take over this country by harming our children. Now, Kane, that sounds hyperbolic. You're so provocative. No, I'm telling you, this is not something I decided to do for fun. We have amazing volunteers that feel exactly the same way and shame on you for doing these things to our children so that a bunch of morons so a bunch of educated fools can maintain their power and control and destroy this great nation of ours so take your kids out we are here to help you kane and kane how can people get more information um regarding task force freedom so we're at Task Force Freedom. We're on Facebook, Task Force Freedom, one word. Um, you can reach me at Task Force Freedom um, at AOL.com. We are diligently working to get our, our website up and running. Uh, we also have filed for our 501c4 nonprofit. So we're, we're working um, hard and diligently to, to become official and so that we can help these parents um, save their children. Um, okay. Can I share this real quick to have a minute, sure. Kim? Yeah, one more minute. Um, so Go ahead. I want to share so the parents understand what's happening to their kids. I'm certain all of you or most of you have gone through diversity, equity, inclusion training, diversity training at work, where you have to denounce your whiteness and your white privilege. And black and brown people are told that they're victims. And uh, because of you, white people in this company, I want you to imagine this because you have to go through that maybe once a quarter, maybe once a year, you go through diversity training. Moms and dads, your kids are being forced to listen to this crap every single day. So you have to endure it for maybe once or twice a year. Your child, when they go to school here in mid-August, they are facing that brainwashing every single day. Now, I'm certain you feel bad and you feel horrible for people making you denounce your whiteness. 
and black and brown people, you're not smart enough to get a driver's license. They're doing this to your child in every subject, including recess, including gym. Take your kids out of these horrid government schools. Okay. And there are good teachers in these schools, but um, uh, this agenda is permeating throughout the schools and uh, it's difficult. Kane, I so appreciate what you're doing. And this event is in Tacono on um, Wednesday night, 6 to 8.30 at... Excuse me, New Horizons Church. Kane, thank you for, for, uh, because this is your, this is not your vocation. So you work a job and you also do yep. this. And people can reach you at Task Force Freedom at, a- excuse me, at AOL.com. Thanks so much, Kane. We will talk to you again very soon. Thank you, Kim. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Greg Lopez. Stay tuned. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of the Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. With the right training from Franktown Firearms, anyone can improve. The professionals at Franktown meet you at your current level of experience, gauging your level of confidence so that they know what kind of training to recommend to you. After you purchase your firearm, regardless of the level you're at, Franktown will encourage you to train. They maintain a comfortable atmosphere, encouraging improvement from any level with one-on-one training and private training up to advanced training and classes. They even offer a concealed carry certification class. Franktown actively avoids the corporate model as a family-owned, operated, and family-friendly environment. They give everyone the time of day, meaning that they emphasize the importance of training in a comfortable and inclusive environment. Franktown Firearms wants you to be as invested in improving your skills as they are in their training with you. Sign up for a course today at klzradio.com slash franktown. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Something's a good idea. You shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, I have on the line with me Greg Lopez, and um, candidate for governor here in Colorado. And uh, we went through the primary. And I think most everybody... Uh, in Colorado and America agree that we must, must, you know, we, we have to trust our elections, that they're free and fair and honest and transparent. 
And um, Greg has, um, we've been told in Colorado that we have the gold standard. And I'm saying that with with air quotes because uh, we're, we're seeing that there are different places that there's vulnerabilities. There's um, areas where there's a possible um, opportunity for manipulation. But um, we've been assured that we have these risk-limited audits that will assure that we have free, fair, honest, and transparent elections. And I wanted to talk to Greg Lopez about that because he sent a letter to some of these county clerks asking about the risk-limited audits. Greg Lopez, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Kim. How are you doing? Good. Great to have you. So explain these risk-limited audits to our listeners. Well, after every election, before they certify the, the election results, there is an audit board that is comprised of a Republican uh, representative, a Democrat representative, and in the secretary of clerk, uh, the clerk and recorder for that county. And they're supposed to do this statistical process by which they give assurance that the winner actually won. And so what the uh, process entails a true audit, which is what I'm finding out, Kim, is that they're not doing a true risk limited audit. The process that they're using is deceptive and distorted to try to give people confidence that the actual winner won. And the letter I said was, can you please just do it correctly? Can you please just do what it is that you're supposed to do in an audit? And that is you take a sample of the uh, ballots that were casted, you then run it through the machine and get a tally or a, a count of that sample, and then you do a hand count comparison. You then have people count them by hand, do a recording of the ballots of the votes that every candidate got, and just make a comparison. And they're not doing that. What they're doing, Tim, which is really deceiving, is they're matching the image that they have on a computer with the actual ballot. And so all they're doing is checking the markings. And it's interesting because even the Secretary of State's own uh, website says that they, the only thing they're doing is matching the markings. But is it by statute? I mean, they're, they're obviously you check the markings, but they're not then checking any of the tabulation, correct? That's right. That's right. They're not counting it. You know, and, and there is a statute that, you know, it's uh, Colorado Revised Statute 1-7-515, Section A, uh, Section 1, Subsection A, where the, uh, the General Assembly states that in order for people to have confidence in the election results and the administration of it, that a risk-limited audit needs to be conducted. And right now... They're not doing them correctly. So you, so what action have you taken then, Greg? Well, what I've done, and it's kind of interesting because the, the statutes, the Colorado law is silent on this. So what I've done is I've signed a certified letter to 11 county clerks uh, sharing with them why I believe that they need to do an, a risk-limited audit the correct way. All the statutes, all the language that validates and justifies my request. Now, I'm not asking them to break the law. I'm not asking them to do anything that is not allowable. What I'm asking them to do is to actually do a true risk-limited audit so that people can have confidence in the election results. You know, I'm not looking to change the outcome. 
I'm looking to make sure that the process that we are using here in Colorado can be respected. And right now, with this information that I found out, I'm going to tell you, this gives even more credence as to why we don't believe Colorado truly has that gold standard election process that everybody, well, a lot of people claim that it is you know, the best in the country. We need to do it correctly. Okay, and going back, you said that Colorado law is silent on this, but yet you also just cited some statutes. So explain to me what, what you mean when well, you say Colorado silent on this. It's silent in me being able to make this request, right? Because oh, they, they, don't, okay. they don't talk about how do we handle an audit if, in fact, it's not done correctly. And so, you know, my request for them to do an audit and do it correctly, uh, the assumption is that they did it right. The assumption is that, you know, there's no way that they would play any games with this types of stuff. But actually, they didn't do it correctly. And so my request um, is a true request. with, And I have evidence that shows that they're not doing it correctly. And so we'll see what happens. But... I can t- I can assure you this. I'm going to continuously push to make sure that we are doing the risk-limited audits correctly because, Kim, if your risk-limited audit is flawed, then there's a lot of questions on how you can certify the election results. You think? Because the, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah because really? The, yeah. The audit board, right, is the one that gives assurance to the canvas board that the results are correct. And so this is really interesting because, as you know, it's been a month since the primary election, and there's a lot of candidates out there that are looking for recounts. And and right now there's a recount going on in El Paso County. Uh, I attended a meeting last night. It was very informative. But I'm here to tell you that ultimately we must have a process by which people can feel Uh, confident that we're doing the right things. And I challenge anyone. I would be more than happy to sit down with anybody because, and talk about what I found and talk about the the documents of the Secretary of State's office. Because all this information, Kim, I got it from the website of the Secretary of State's office and the statutes. I'm not making up any information. It's not my personal opinion. I'm looking at the language. It's what I can prove. It's not what I believe, but it's what I can prove. And so that's why I sent these letters. I'm going to follow up this week uh, with all the county clerks. I know they're going to be busy with the recount for Tina Peters and so forth. But I want to follow up with this and find directly from them what do they intend to do. Very good. So I'm talking with Greg Lopez, candidate for governor here in Colorado, regarding these risk-limited audits. And I want to delve into that a little bit more so that you can understand uh, why this is so important. So we're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, the nonprofit that I've adopted is the USMC Memorial Foundation, uh, which they are raising money to remodel the Marine Memorial out at 6th and Colfax. And it was dedicated in 1977. It's, it's lovely, but it's time for an update. And Paula Sarles and her team, and Paula is 
a um, Vietnam-era Marine veteran, also a Gold Star wife. And they are working diligently to raise the money to do this remodel. You can help them by going to USMCMemorialFoundation.org. You can donate there. Or you can buy a brick that will have your name and your military service on it. It'll be on one of their walkways. And uh, so you can honor your military service or your uh, family member's uh, military service. Go to USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. We'll be right back with Greg Lopez. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you should not have to force people to do it. Uh, but we see a, all kinds of force going on out there. But uh, on the line with me is Greg Lopez, candidate for governor here in Colorado. And we're talking about the risk-limited audits. So we've got, uh, as Greg mentioned, there are some uh, candidates in El Paso County that have requested recounts of the primary election, as well as Tina Peters uh, raises the money. It's it's um, it's remarkable that it's, it, it's so difficult for the public to be assured that these elections are free, fair, honest, and transparent. Um, and so Tina has this recount going over here. But, Greg, you are uh, asking something um, that is important, and that is these uh, these risk-limited audits. And that has been put in place to assure um, citizens that the elections are, cl- um, you know, are, are clean, they're free, fair, honest, and transparent. But you found some uh, some they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. That's what that's the bottom line. It is. You know, they are circumventing that they're doing the step one and they're not finishing with step two. They're doing the precursor of how you actually do the audit itself. You know, and all they're doing, Kim, is comparing images. You know, they're they're comparing apples to apples before they do the hand count. They're supposed to compare apples to apples and say, hey, look, are we counting the same ballots that the machine counting? 
in this sample. And then what they're supposed to do is take the machine counts, compare them to the hand counts. Pretty logical. Most people mm-hmm. can understand. That's how you're supposed to do it. They're not doing that. And you have to question yourself, why is the Secretary of State's office and why is the clerks and recorders not doing that simple step of that comparison? Because that really is what puts you know, people at ease to say, well, you know what, statistically, this is what we've done. But what they're doing right now is very deceptive. You know, they're trying to let people believe that they've done the audit correctly, which they haven't. Okay. So, and why this is important. So ideally, the Secretary of State says to the county clerks, hey, pull this ballot from this batch, pull this ballot, and your Republican, your Democrat, and your county clerk sit down and they look at that and they say, oh, yes, this image that went through, through the tabulating machine and the ballot match up. And then they you know, wipe their hands off and they say this is done. And, and, and the citizens would not realize that there is supposed to be that next step then. And that next step then is then doing a, a, a hand count to make sure that those ballots uh, match up with what went through the tabulating machine. And if they, if the percentages don't match up, then what happens, Greg, um, with a risk limited audit? What is supposed to happen, I should say? Well, you know what? The Secretary of State's office, right, they identify a risk factor. uh, And for this primary election, they identified a risk factor of three, which means, you know, kind of like a 3%, you know, within a 3% margin. And so if they can't hit that, then basically what they must do in order to ensure is they have to do a complete hand count of all the ballots, because the formulas that they're using are not coming out correctly, which then gives people concern about, is the machine actually counting correctly? And so these are the types of things that, you know, this is just a checks and balance. And so if it's not mating the, the percentages, then they're required to do a full, full hand count of all the ballots that were casted. And that's what they're trying to avoid. You know, and I know that Tina and others are requesting a hand count, which I think they should be requesting a hand count because I think it is important at this at this point in time that's happening here in Colorado with all the uncertainty and with all the divisiveness that's happening with these elections. If these elected officials truly wanted to bring some closure to this issue, they would just do the hand count. Just do it. You know, and I've heard some of them say, well, it's too expensive. You know what? Government spends and wastes a lot of money. I told you during my campaign, fraud, waste, and abuse, I believe 40% of the state budget is fraud, waste, and abuse. Why don't we spend the money correctly? And let's pay to make sure that we hand count all of these ballots. You know, I would say to a county clerk that... Uh, w- would comment that, and this is just a small percentage. I mean, it's really a, a, not that many ballots that 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 they have, um, uh, you know, that you would be looking at. And where are they regarding the cost for all these mail-in ballots to be printed and to be, you know, we've had mail-in ballots flying all over the state. And, you know, where would these county clerks, they should be, if they want to reduce costs, that would be the first thing to do is to get our voter rolls cleaned up, which I think that's another big problem. So this, uh, you know, going to the default of it's too expensive, uh, just, I mean, it can't be too expensive to make sure that we are assuring 
the citizens that we are having free, fair, honest, and transparent elections. So, Greg Lopez, you said you sent this certified letter to 11 county clerks. Uh, what's the response been? Well, I haven't got any response. They just got delivered. I just validated with the United States Post Office through the tracking system. They all got delivered either Friday or Saturday. So that's why I'm following up. I'm going to give them, uh, you know, today and tomorrow, and then I'll follow up. But I'm going to make sure that I do get a response to this because it is a formal request. It is a, a notarized. I am a certified candidate for governor. This does impact my election. It impacts everybody's election. And so we'll find out. You know, stay tuned because I really hope that they do respond. But I'm not going to be surprised, Kim, if they totally ignored this, if they totally feel that, you know what, we're not going to do this, we're not going to move forward, because that seems to be the direction that they're going on right now, is that they refuse to actually prove and do what they're supposed to do through state statute and the rules and so forth to give assurance that the winners actually won. And you always have to question, you know, why is there an agenda that is just trying to stop the truth from coming forward. And I think that's people what they, all people just want the truth. Just tell us who won, but tell us in a manner that we can all feel confident that our elections are being handled correctly. And like you said earlier, you can't put a price on freedom. You can't put a price on having good elections. That's not what we should be doing. Well, and the reason is, Greg, is when you look at where we are in our country, with uh, out-of-control inflation, uh, which is is hurting people, uh, everyday people. It's hurting the poor the most and people that are trying to move up the economic ladder. But all of this inflation is because of public policy. And public policy is put in place <clears throat> because of the people that win elections. And <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that is why these elections are so important. And um, I am shocked that we don't have, you know, every... Uh, you know, every elected official, every county clerk, um, both of the state parties, you know, out there saying we want to make sure that this risk limited audit is done the way it is supposed to be done by state statute. And uh, and we need to make sure that we assure the citizen that we are having free, fair, honest and transparent elections. And um, we as citizens need to be informed. This is a little complicated to understand. But basically, the risks limited audit, uh, you have a Republican, a Democrat, and the county clerk. They sit down. They look at the images of the ballot. They compare it to the the uh, actual ballot. And then they're supposed to do a, a, a count, a hand count of what that, those ballots are. And they're not doing step two. And there's no way that we can assure ourselves that we have free, fair, honest, and, elec- and transparent elections if step two is not done. Correct, uh, Greg Lopez? That's correct, Kim. You know, and that's what I'm asking them to do. I'm asking them to actually do their job. Just finish it. Finish it from start to finish. And, you know, I told people that I wasn't going to go away, that I was going to stay involved. And as people were asking me, please, you know, look at things. And so I did. I'm going to stay involved in this. I'm going to make sure that the risk limited audits are done correctly because it's important for the November election. If they're not doing them correctly in the primary, there's nothing to assure us that they're not going to be doing them correctly in November. And that's really, like you said, everything that impacts our daily lives, everything that impacts our children, our way of life, 
our future is conducted through the elections because those are the people that set the policies. And we must get our elections back. Well, and that is for sure. And there are those that have said, well, we don't want to look backwards. And that's what I think is important here is you're you're looking at this election and you're looking forward. You want to make sure that into the future that we are assuring that uh, we have free, fair, honest and transparent elections here in Colorado. Uh, Greg Lopez, um, your final thought, we've got about 30 seconds. What would you like to say to to, uh, my listeners? You know, what I would like to tell the listeners is, look, it is your civic responsibility to question, to question what is happening with our elections. Don't be bullied. Don't be ashamed. You know, you have a right as an American to make sure that we have good and fair elections. And so I would ask you to support me as I'm moving through this process, because it is the process that we need to make sure it's being done correctly. And right now it's not. And so we have evidence that shows that. And all they have to do is show us, look, here's a comparison of the machine and here's a comparison of the hand count. That's all they have to do. It's not that hard. And so anybody that's stonewalling that, we should ask why. Greg Lopez, exactly. thank you so much. You take care. Bye. Okay, and our quote for the end of the show is from Mike Dicka. He said, success is never permanent and failure is never final. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important story. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued. You have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, you were made for this moment. And thank you to this team that I get to work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Uh, Producer Steve, I greatly appreciate your good work. Well, thank you. It's a a welcome addition on a Monday, marvelous Monday morning. It is a marvelous Monday. And I just want to give a shout out to my uh, very good friend, Donna. She is having a very important birthday today. And I want to say happy birthday to Donna. She is uh, a great friend. And it is a marvelous Monday because it is her special birthday. I just wanted to say that. So, um, hey, um, check out our website. That's Kim Munson. <clears throat> and that's uh, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and uh, um, you'll get first look at our upcoming essays, our most recent podcasts, our upcoming guests, all kinds of great information there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com, and thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice, and we search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Something's a good idea. You shouldn't have to force people to do it, Steve. Well, hmm. 
there must not be a lot of good ideas because there's an awful lot of force these days. Uh, it certainly is. And there's it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights, their property, their freedom, their livelihood, their opportunity or their lives via force. And force comes in a lot of different uh Packages. It could be a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, or the World Economic Forum, Davos, global, globalist elite's agenda. And we are seeing that being played out and what those policies that it's been, it's been a long time. It's been since the early 90s that they have really started this. It started with the whole environmental sustainability. Uh, they've been going at this incrementally we now see what these policies are it is an assault on western culture it's an assault on the middle class of america and it's an assault on america the american idea it's an assault on freedom and liberty and uh, we're seeing this played out and so we're in a very uh what's the old chinese proverb steve Uh, may you live in interesting times well we are living in very interesting times steve (laughs) Unfortunately, the list of things that uh, the American electorate population need to wake up to is growing. But I'm not sure there's anything that's more important than what's going on with these uh, Davos elitists uh, and the things they're doing. And it needs to be said, they're not just doing it to the U.S. They're doing it to many countries, industrialized countries around the world. Well, and we had Jay Davidson on last week, founder of First American State Bank, CEO of First American State Bank, and he wrote an essay that we rolled out this last weekend, and it's on the website now, regarding all these protests across the world. We've seen the the Dutch farmers, and Patty pulled in headline that what we're seeing with the Dutch farmers, we may see here in... America, because they are making it more and more difficult for our farmers and ranchers to produce food for us. I mean, honestly, can you believe it that they are making it difficult and for for farmers and ranchers to raise food? And then there's another headline that many of these Davos elites are so rich that they're buying up farmland in America and taking it out of production. This is not going to end well. For everyday people, Steve, uh, with the with this particular agenda. Well, if you're going to control and dominate people, what what better vehicle than that? You know, their food supply, food, food, water, and energy. And what have you seen from the enviros now? Food, water, and energy that they are trying to shut that down. And so this is not about. Um, sustainability for the world or the environment. And and I'm thinking about it. Um, you know, and and they're also pro-abortion, so they really don't want to have kids for the future. And when they pass on, uh, you know, I, I think I'm answering my own question here. I'm thinking they're going to pass on, and so what does it matter to them? Uh, you know how how the world is. I mean, I we I, I say that we have a responsibility to be good stewards of the earth, but it's kind of like, and they're the ones that are flying around on their airplanes. Um, but I just realized that with all this, you know, new science, they're trying to live forever. I, I hadn't thought about that. They think they're going to be around for a while. That's, that's the answer. I didn't realize that, Steve. And then the weirdest part is, is that these guys like uh, Al Gore or John Kerry will be face to face with the media. And the media will kind of get in their face and saying, what, what's up with this, what you're standing for? And yet you're flying your private jets all around the world. 
and they come back with the most off the wall answer. It's like, well, I'm important. I need to get my message out. Exactly. And that's why I need to use hydrocarbons to fuel my airplane to get around to tell uh, everyday people why they can't use hydrocarbons. But it's, I mean, the elitist, the arrogance is just beyond belief. Because, Steve, if we use, if we unleash American and, and mankind's creativity and innovation, we can solve these problems. We can have people that are thriving and flourishing, and we can be taking care of the planet at the same time. So that's not what they're about. It's not really taking care of the planet. It's control and power. That's what it's all about. Oh, yeah. And the first thing they'll do in their endeavors is to bind up that ingenuity and that, you know, that, that level of expertise. Well, look what they've done to the look what they've done to the uh, oil and gas industry. We at, at the end of this last administration, we were basically energy independent. We were we're exporting energy. Bottom line, first thing, you know, Biden comes in and he shuts down American. Well, he shuts down the Keystone XL pipeline, so uh, and takes and, and thousands of American jobs disappeared. You know, in the blink of an eye. And this, the Keystone XL pipeline would provide affordable, reliable, efficient, and abundant energy to Americans. But instead, he shuts that down. Energy has gotten so expensive that he's going to our enemies on a begging tour, asking them to produce more. And the other point I wanted to make regarding um, creati- creativity and innovation. Remember Jimmy Carter, uh, you know, back in the 80s, we're going to run out of oil and gas. You know what? American engineers rolled up their sleeves. They came up with hydraulic uh, fracturing and horizontal drilling. And we uh, are sitting on, you know, years and years and years of oil and gas reserves here in America. And public policy is not letting us drill for it. But yet... Uh, yet they're, they're not taking a hard stand on coal-fired plants in, in China, uh, which do not have all of the mechanisms in place for uh, burning clean coal like we do here. Uh, and so there's three things, food, water, and energy. And these yahoos, these Davos elites, and, and, and they're in our government here. I, you know, I didn't finish my thought with, with Jay. Is Jay said people are feeling the hurt, but he, I'm not sure everybody's connecting the dots yet on the hurt. And that's the one thing that we are doing is it is because of public policy. It's because of the people down at the state house. Here in Colorado, it's because of the people, the guy that is in the governor's um, office here in Colorado. It's it's because of these people that are at your city council people, it's your county commissioners, it's the president. All the way along, we need to be electing people that are putting the, the American people first, the American idea first, Steve. Well, I hope you're not looking for an argument because I got, I got none. <laughs> I always appreciate that. So I really didn't think that was where we were, were going to go in this particular hour, but uh, that's where we went with the first segment. But uh, in the first hour, we talked about Chicago. And Chicago is a mess. Illinois is a mess. And it's because they have had uh, radical activist Democrats uh, in office there for many, many years. And so several things. One of Colorado's richest men is moving his firm, uh, I think it's a hedge firm, Citadel, from um, Chicago to Florida. And one of the main reasons is crime. And then the Chicago 
uh, Bears are um, looks like they're going to try to move uh, their stadium out to Arlington Heights from Soldier Field. And again, one of the big reasons is crime. And then I just pulled this up, and Chicago had 33 shot, three fatally over the the weekend. Where you know where is the outrage? I, I mean, we've had these shootings, these malls and and schools, and, and I mean, there is outrage as there should be, but where is the outrage that this is happening in the inner city of Chicago every weekend? I just don't understand why there's no outrage on that. So uh, anyway, so our quote for today that I pulled in was from Mike Ditka because he was a football player. He played for the Chicago Bears as well as the Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he was a five-time Pro Bowl selection. He was born in 1830, 1839. Whoa. 1939. Whoa. Uh, he was born in 1939, and he said this. He said, losers quit when they're tired. Winners quit when they've won. I love that, Steve. When we look at what we're fighting here in America, uh, losers will quit when they're tired, but we winners, we will quit when we've won. And we are fighting for our country, and um, I take great heart in that particular quote, Steve. You're, and you're probably going to be hearing from Mr. Dick uh, later today. <clears throat> oh, well, when you oh, say yeah, he was yeah. born in 18, whatever you said, I'm like, wow. Yeah, yeah, I, yes, 1939, 1939. So, hey, let's go to break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Joshua Scharf. And uh, he is a senior fellow in fiscal policy at the Independence Institute right here in Colorado. And he had written a really important piece that Patty had on our headlines last week. And it's complicated, but we need to understand it because ultimately we pay for it. And that is, uh, he says, what inflation means for Colorado's public pensions. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Joshua Scharf. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned Remax realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of the Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim dot com as well. And I thank all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And one of the things that I think has a lot of force in it is these public um, pension plans, because they basically, uh, at the bottom line, I think they have the taxpayer, the citizen, on the hook for this. Joshua Scharf has written a very important piece, What Inflation Means for Colorado Public Pensions. And it's a complicated subject, but one that you need to understand. Joshua Scharf, welcome to the show. Good morning, Kim. It's great to be back on. 
It's great to have you. And uh, you're a senior senior fellow with um, um, fiscal policy at the Independence Institute. And you start this piece off with, and, and this is true, it says the single most important economic story of the moment is inflation. And in fact, that is probably the most important story across the board because people are feeling it. Um, but you said, unfortunately, we know little about its long-term effects on Colorado public pensions. And so walk us through this, Joshua, so that people understand this. Yeah, the, um, here's, here's, here's the, the mystifying part of this. We don't really know what the effect is going to be on, on how Paris sits on its long-term funding, uh, long-term funding ratio, meaning the amount of money that it has in hand as compared to the amount of money that it would need to have in hand to meet its future obligations. And so this, you know, Para uh, uses a model to estimate that. And inflation is one of those numbers that it puts in, but we don't really know how an increase in inflation in the short term or in the long term, uh, and, and or, you know, not to be binary about it, the medium term as well. I mean, you could have a a situation where you have several years of inflation and then it settles back down. We don't really know what that looks like in terms of Para's ability to meet its long-term obligations. Um, the pensions all over the country have been running into to real problems because many of them have cost of living adjustments that are tied to the consumer price index, and those go in automatically. And they're having to pay out uh, large uh, cost of living, or we'll call COLAs, cost of living adjustments, uh, to, to current retirees right now when returns are not, you know, market returns are not so good. So they're getting hit in, in, in both directions. Uh, Para doesn't necessarily have that problem because of a bill that we will talk about in a little bit, uh, a bill that, that limits the, the uh, cost of living adjustments to current retirees. But we don't really know what else is going on under the hood and what the effects of, of, uh, of price increases and wage increases might be on on uh, on Para's long-term uh, funding situation. Okay, so Para again, it's the Public Employees Retirement Association. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Association. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and I'm looking at this piece that you've written, and you said Senate Bill 18200 was the most recent legislative effort to reforming the finances for Para. Uh, and it's placed limits and curbs on annual increases. How did that ever get through this Colorado legislature? Because normally, you know, it's a blank check for this kind of stuff. Well, if you remember back in 2018, it was a split legislature. So even though Hickenlooper was still governor, it was a split le- split legislature. And there was a, a feeling, having looked at um, having looked at Paris' situation, that something large had to be done, not just tinkering with, you know, giving a little more money here or trimming back benefits there, but something a little more comprehensive. And so a number of senators on both sides of the aisle got together, uh, and, and representatives as well, um, got, got together and worked out a bill that would increase uh, obligations, it would increase payments and decrease, they can't decrease core benefits um, to current members or current retirees uh, because of various court rulings. So that's considered, you know, sort of a contractual obligation that they can't change. But they could, but COLA's cost of living adjustments are not considered a core benefit. And so one of the the ways that they were able to say, well, we're going to require employers, that is to say the taxpayer, 
uh, to pay more, and we're going to require new employees to pay more to cover essentially the cost of their own pensions much more. Uh, what, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to um, uh, we're, we're going to project out. We're going to use this this modeling tool to project out uh, where Para is in order to be fully funded by 2047. Are we on that path or are we not on that path? And if we are below where we need to be on that path, if we are less funded than we need to be, then uh, we will ratchet down the cost of living increases, and we will and we will increase the contributions both by taxpayers and by uh, and by employees. And so right now, uh, cost of living adjustments are at 1%, that is to say a, a, a retiree uh, who is receiving, uh, I'll make up a number, I don't know, a $2,000 monthly, uh, monthly check, would receive now a, a $2,020 monthly check for the next year. So 1% for the year. And, and so what that does is that keeps power from having that immediate cash drain that other pensions are seeing where they're sort of eating, they're, they're running into this problem, they're all underfunded, uh, where they're essentially eating their seed corn, right? They need to pay more money mm-hmm. out now, and they don't have that money to invest. Para doesn't have that problem, but, but it, may have other, it may have other issues whose effects we can't gauge. Uh, in particular, how employees and employers, uh, in particular how employers, which and, and it's fair to talk about employers in this case, not taxpayers, um, how they respond uh, to you know, in terms of staffing, do they uh, increase? Do they increase um, uh, wages because they have to, or do they because they feel they have to in order to hold on to people? Do they, and therefore hire fewer people. So what does that do? Or do they hire more people? Do they hold the line on wages and and hire more people? And what does that do? And so it's unclear what the effects of of how the employers respond, um, what that will mean for 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 uh, you know for Paris' future situation. And who all, um, uh, who's the beneficiaries, or, or the para covers, you know, which, which industries? Mm. Right. So there are, state, there, there are a number of funds. Uh, the two biggest ones are the state fund, which covers state employees, and those are people who work directly for state agencies. And then there are the school fund, which covers almost all, not, not all, but I believe almost all, Public school uh, uh, teachers. I don't think um, I don't think charter schools, for instance. I don't think even though they're public schools, I don't think they're covered by uh, by para. Um, that's a small that's a small number of schools. Uh, so the, the, the school division covers a large number of schools. Uh, judges are covered, um, and their uh, Denver Public Schools has its own fund. Uh, uh, Bennett, now Senator Bennett, was uh, one of the guys who helped broker the the entrance of. Uh, Denver Public Schools into Para. Prior to that, it had had its own uh, its own uh, pension plan. Uh, so, but it still has its own fund. Uh, and then, um, uh, so those are the, those the, those those sorts of things. Those are the people, public employees for the state, are the ones who are covered by. The, oh, there's the municipal division. The municipal division again. Not all municipalities, uh, cities, and counties participate in this, uh, but uh, many do, and so they have their own their own division as well. Okay. Now, in in the ultimate case of a, a shortfall, who's on the hook to have to make that up? 
<laughs> yeah, of course, it's the taxpayer. I mean, ultimately, that you know, the, the state will well, the, the 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 people in the legislature will say, well, it's the state, but of course, it's the taxpayers ultimately on the hook. These are, uh, and, and some of that is the result of, like I said, legal decisions that have come down over time. Um, this was a hotter topic some time ago, although it's liable to show up again because, as I said, all over the country there there are there are funds that are not that are that are not uh, cola protected. But the um, uh, ultimately, you have the taxpayers on the hook. You had a few years ago uh, cities going bankrupt because they simply couldn't meet their pension obligations. You had in in Colorado part of what prompted SB eighteen, uh, Senate Bill two hundred. I'm sorry, SB eighteen two hundred, um, uh, four years ago was that Para was was approaching something like fifty percent funding. I mean, it, meaning that even if it got all of the returns that it expected and all of the money went in that was projected and all, uh, then all of the benefits that came out would consume twice as much. They only had 50 cents on the, they, for every dollar they would need to meet those obligations. And so that was, a, that, that was part of the reason for the alarm and the, the, feel, the feeling that it was a need to, to do something large rather than, uh, rather than something small. Listen, I mean, at the time, um, I was ambivalent about the bill. I thought there was good stuff in it, and I thought there was bad stuff, and I still feel that way. Um, and I think because you've you've laid your fi- your, hand, your, your your finger on on the on the salient point, which is that ultimately the taxpayers are responsible for for making this up. Courts have said that you can't simply walk away from this. You can't you can't uh, you know default. Well, you can sort of default your way out of it, but you can't uh, you can't cut back core benefits. For retirees or for employees, that's considered a, a, a contractual obligation. And so, uh, then there's a question of what's a core benefit. And the California courts, which tend to be very influential in this, a lot of the a lot of the jurisprudence coming out of this has come out of California, uh, where they've tried to do stuff and haven't been allowed to. Uh, so the question then is, what constitutes a core benefit? And and would it be part of the courts had had been edging closer to allowing you know more more things to be touched by this? But the uh, uh, but ultimately everyone agrees at this point at least all the courts agree that uh, cost of living adjustments are not a core benefit but your your um, basic benefit calculated on uh, on on you know how much salary you earned over time and and then you know how many years you worked and whatnot that's considered a core benefit so uh, you can't you can't touch that and what it what it means is that if that gets if that gets very large. Um, it has the potential to do. I mean, we had we had the state's credit rating had not been dropped, but it was put on watch by some of the credit rating agencies because they were concerned about about the effects of this. So um, uh, it's it, it's it's a it's a real it, it's an ongoing and real risk to the creditworthiness of the state, and it's a uh, uh, a real problem in terms of, 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 I mean, I believe it's a real problem in terms of just the structure of a public pension, of a defined benefit plan, where you make a promise that you will pay out a certain amount, uh, and and then you're, and it's calculated on, on how much somebody's made over their lifetime working for, you know, working for the, for, for the government. Um, I think there's a, there's a real risk that uh, this kind of plan just continues to be fundamentally unstable. No matter what we do, no, how many, in, you know, no matter how many good years you have in a row, and and then there's, right. the, you know, so I, I think there's a real risk that this thing remains unstable over time. 
you think? And that's why in the private sector, um, many companies moved away from this defined benefit with uh, COLA um, cost of living increases to a um, defined contribution. Uh, um, scenario. And so I want to talk some more about this. And I, I've got something, I, I did some calculation that I don't think I've ever asked you this. I th- think maybe I, I've alluded to this in some of our conversations. You're not, not going to ask me to uh, do public math, are you? I, I did the math. I did the math. So <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask okay. you about that. But I'm talking with uh, Joshua. You look at numbers all the time. I would think math is totally your your subject. But I'm talking with Joshua Wisharf. He is a senior fellow in fiscal policy with the Independence Institute. And he's written a really important piece about para because and why this matters to you is because ultimately you are on the hook for this and so let's go to break when we come back we'll continue the conversation with joshua sharf three points financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families mary alpers and steve cruz at three points financial specialize in investment strategies tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N.com. With the right training from Franktown Firearms, anyone can improve. The professionals at Franktown meet you at your current level of experience, gauging your level of confidence so that they know what kind of training to recommend to you. After you purchase your firearm, regardless of the level you're at, Franktown will encourage you to train. They maintain a comfortable atmosphere, encouraging improvement from any level with one-on-one training and private training up to advanced training and classes. They even offer a concealed carry certification class. Franktown actively avoids the corporate model as a family-owned, operated, and family-friendly environment. They give everyone the time of day, meaning that they emphasize the importance of training in a comfortable and inclusive environment. Franktown Firearms wants you to be as invested in improving your skills as they are in their training with you. Sign up for a course today at klzradio.com slash franktown. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. 
sign up for our weekly newsletter and you can email me at Kim at com as well. I've got on the line with me a uh, senior fellow in fiscal policy at the Independence Institute, Joshua Scharf. He's written a really important in-depth piece regarding uh, our, uh, it's called What Inflation Means for Colorado's Public Pensions. And I think uh, probably the answer is right now we don't know for sure. But inflation, so what, I think, me, Mil- oh, go ahead. Let me sneak in, well, let me sneak in with one thing here. Uh, okay. I think there's a real, and, and the we don't know for sure, I think, is we don't know for sure, but we could know more than we know. And and uh, let me just briefly explain why we don't know as much as we could. Uh, para, uh, the, the para board has the actuaries, has its actuaries run um, uh, run analyses every every few years. One of them is just a, a basic, you know, are your basic economic assumptions right? And then on... Uh, Every they, they do that every four years, and then every four years they also go and look at what's called they do what's called an experience study. That is, how are people actually, how are employees and employees actually responding to to the current situation? And so we can build that into our modeling tool, our financial forecast that we use to see whether or not uh, you know to, to to see whether or not the the fund's going to be you know going to be solvent or not. Um, one of the things that they have done this year, that they will look at this year is the actual inflation number. But the para board has decided that because so much of what happens with inflation is a result, that is the, the effect of it on, uh, on, on para itself, is a result of how employees and employers react, then, and that study won't be done for another two years. They're not going to actually take any, mob, any, any, uh, any uh, action on retooling the model until... 2024. I mean, I think that is, I think they could build in a sensitivity analysis and say, if employers respond this way, what does that mean? If they respond this other way, what does that mean? So that they could know a lot, a lot more about what to expect. Uh, instead, and, and, and this is something, you know, producer prices were on the horizon at the end of 2020. Consumer prices have been going up since the middle of 2020, at least since the middle of 2021, at an accelerated pace, um, which means that if this continues, then, and if nothing else, we're in a rising interest rate environment because of it now, which is also a, a different, uh, a different uh, investment mm-hmm. environment. Uh, because we're in that sort of environment, uh, they won't have done anything to inform themselves of the effects for three to three and a half years into this thing going on. I think that that's unbelievable. Oh, it's totally irresponsible, Joshua Scharf. Totally irresponsible. And that's the thing, uh, just comparing government versus private enterprise. Private businesses could not could not delay things for three and a half years. They would go out of business. And so they're nimble. They make changes. And my gosh, I mean, three and a half years in, in these environments, it's craziness that they're not not addressing that but so a couple of things what is uh what is the rate of return that they are assuming on the para portfolio when they're doing these models so the long-term rate of return they assume is seven and a quarter percent and that's not i in the past i've been a little hard on them because i think that was it, it had been much higher and and they've brought it down to seven and a quarter percent i don't think that's an unrealistic number uh, I do think it gets. Uh, I, I do think there are. Um, it doesn't. The way that they use it doesn't sufficiently take into account the volatility of those returns. 
So seven and a quarter percent, if you just average that out over the course of how many years, that's probably mm-hmm. not an unrealistic number. But because it bounces around so much and because bad years generally have more effect because you're, you're still paying, you have to make those payments. You can't forego mm-hmm. making those payments. Um, generally have more of an effect than good years do. Uh, the, 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 the volatility isn't, isn't sufficiently accounted for. But that's, that's it in how you calculate whether or not you're going to have the money on hand. I think they're, they're, there's, they're, they, they uh, uh, um, should be using a different way of saying how many dollars do we need today to make that payment in the future. They should be mm-hmm. using uh, a lower number, a lower, what's called a discount rate. They should be using a lower discount rate, meaning that they need more, more dollars on hand today to make those payments tomorrow. Okay. I, I was going to ask you if there was an average payment per um, retiree, but that's going to bounce around a lot because uh, different, what, different levels of, of, of people, you know, how many years they worked for, uh, you know, their entity. So, but I, I so this is the math there, thing. And yeah. I, you, yeah. There are okay, some people so, who do very well and some people who are in the thirties. It's not, it's, it's hard to get a, you know, it's hard for that to be a meaningful number. Let's put it that way. Okay. So this is what I, I decided to do because ultimately the, the, uh, the taxpayer <clears throat> is on the hook for this. And we saw, and I, I just had taken a look at this, particularly during COVID, there was an assault on, middle-class America, middle-class Coloradans by um, government um, bureaucrats and politicians determining which businesses were essential and which weren't. And the essential ones were the big guys, the non-essential were the little guys. And those are your your entrepreneurs. And it takes a lot. I think um, those down at the state legislature here in Colorado think small businesses are have a money tree in their backyard. They don't. They're most many small business owners are working 60, 70 hours a week trying to create wealth for them and their family by providing a, a, a good um, goods or services that other people want. And so it takes a lot with taxation and fees to create that nest egg. So what I had done, Joshua, is let's say that somebody in para as receiving um, $4,000 a month from Paris. So that's $48,000 a year. I, I felt that that was probably a conservative number to use. What, how much in a nest egg would they have to have saved and created to get that return at uh, currently the 60 day, excuse me, the 60 month rate on CDs is 3.25%. So that number to at 3.25% and, and rates have gone up now, but you would have to create a nest egg of $1.476 million to make that happen. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I, I understand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, and, it and, takes... and then not have to touch your, and then not have to touch your principal. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, yeah. okay. In, in this environment with government taking more and more, of uh, our income through fees and taxes and regulations and all, it's difficult for a small little business to create a nest egg of almost $1.5 million. But yet, in essence, that is what we are guaranteeing to para-employees. And if we don't hit that guarantee, ultimately, the taxpayers on the, the, um, on the hook for that. And I think that's important for people to understand. No, it is, and I think there's there's another element that public pensions have that, in general, private pensions don't, 
which is uh, the element of, of, of sort of public pressure and the fact that some, because somebody else, always from the legislature's point of view, somebody else, is paying for it, uh, there is political pressure to give more now in order to in, 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 get votes in, and, and sort of kick <laughs> the can down the road. Well, yeah, and, and yeah, in order to, to, to kind of kick the can down the road. Now, fortunately, the legislature has been, you know, some been relatively restrained in doing that. They haven't, you know, they, and, and I've sat in on some of these, you know, I'm, I'm on I, I, the full disclosure, I guess I'm on with this this legislative one of the, the, the citizen members of this legislative subcommittee that um, uh, you know supposed to look at para uh, on an annual basis and 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 there is no appetite on on that committee to you know increase benefits or 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 you know, sort of try to try to make the same mistakes that we've made in the past but that doesn't necessarily hold true for the legislature at large and you know when you see your prices your prices that you pay in your rent you pay say going up you know double digits year over year and you're getting a 1% and 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 one thing to remember para replaces social security so if you are a para member for the period of time that you were a para member you're not paying into social security but you're also not accumulating benefits so for a lot of these people the only retirement they have is para and when you see that going up at, at 1% and your prices that you're paying going up at 10% it creates political pressure uh to to do something about that, uh, and 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 it's and 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 so you know that's something that a private pension in general doesn't have. Right. Uh, the union may show up may show up in the new negotiations there, but the money's there or it's not. You know the company just can't sort of pretend that it isn't there that that it can make these payments that they can't. Um, so that's another part of the reason why this stuff always remains perilous uh, for for public finance because there's political pressure. To, to to amp up the benefits, uh, e- even at the cost, even at the risk, future risk to to uh, you know to public finances. Right, and ultimately, it's the taxpayer that is on the hook for this, and uh, it's important that people understand that. And so, it's these end up sounding good to begin with. Social Security, it sounded good, but ultimately, it, it's a Ponzi scheme. And there, there's another point that um, I, I think I, I do want to make before we go to break, and that is with these public employee pension plans or Social Security. In order to get $48,000 a year, you'd have to accumulate at a 3.25% rate of return almost $1.5 million. And so let's say that somebody does do that. And this is where there's been this assault on property rights through these pension plans mm-hmm. and through Social Security is because upon, at least my understanding, upon the death of the beneficiary, uh, that pension may go to their spouse but but it does not then once they're gone that that nest egg that would have been created over in the private sector it's not there that doesn't go to the heirs and so that has been i think an assault on on property rights i may be going down a rat does that make sense to you uh, what i'm saying <laughs> yeah, joshua I mean, I think, no it does i mean i think it well understand that um para, right para benefits certainly don't go certainly don't go to um they may there may be situations where uh, somebody is is a child may receive a minor um, may receive uh, um, a benefit. You know, if, if their if their their father dies, for instance, um, uh, if there's a if somebody dies while they have a minor child, there may be there may be a benefit attached to that. But that's a, that's a, a a almost 
It's not insignificant to the guy receiving it, but in terms of the finances, the overall finances of the system, uh, it's that's a that's an, a relatively insignificant factor. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you don't have to have the uh, right. You don't have to have have put have the public pensions don't have to have put all that money away um, because they're expecting more to come in. So they sort of right. see it as an ongoing as an ongoing operation, rather than uh, ra- rather than in the case of a retiree, that says, well, you know, here I built up I built up what I built up, and now I have this is what I have to live on for the rest of my life. So it's a little it's a little different circumstance, but yes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So Joshua, you've agreed to stay on through our call-in period if people have any questions. And uh, that is our last uh, segment of the show, 303-477-5600. And so we, if you have any questions regarding para, here's your opportunity to ask an expert on that. Uh, and uh, of course, anything that we've talked about, Chicago, we talked about uh, this risk-limited audit with, with Greg Lopez. Before we go to break, though, the nonprofit that I've adopted is the USMC Memorial Foundation, raising money to remodel that. My friends, it's important to honor, remember these stories of those that have given their lives, have been willing to give their lives for our freedom. So help them out. Go to uh, usmcmemorialfoundation.org. Donate. You can buy a brick for one of the walkways that they'll have, which would honor your military service or your loved one's military service. We're going to go to break. When we come back, I want to hear from you. 303-477-5600. Joshua Scharf is staying on the line. Stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you know about informed consent? The principle is a cornerstone in medicine and applies to nearly all medical treatments, including vaccination. Informed consent is a legal and ethical obligation of your health care provider and should include the benefits, risk, and alternatives regarding the proposed treatment. Sadly, two-thirds of patients report not being given sufficient information about the treatment and even report feeling pressured to give consent. Informed consent, it's not just your signature, it could be your life. This message is sponsored by Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom.com. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And if something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, on the line with me is Joshua Scharf. He is a senior fellow in fiscal policy with the Independence Institute. And um, he's agreed to stay on the line. And uh, this is our call-in time. And uh, we have Chris from Boulder on the line. Chris from Boulder, what's on your radar? So my question really boils down to how accurate their model is going to be. The question is, they're assuming a seven and a quarter percent return. 
And are they realizing that? Have they gotten seven and a quarter percent return on the money they have invested um, so that, as it were, their model is then accurate from a financial projection perspective? Great question. Joshua, uh, what's yeah. your yeah, I mean, over the last three years, as I and I'm doing this, doing this from memory, but I, be, I believe over the last three years, every year they've exceeded ten percent. Um, they, in general, do better. In general, do better than the um, uh, than the expected rate of return over time. Now you have some years where they don't do so well, and then you have years like 2008 where. You know where the bottom falls out. 2009, I guess, really, where the bottom falls out, and you have uh, because that was the uh, the financial crisis. It turns out 2020, which started out as a very bad year, as we all remember financially, well, the markets came back. So they for for that part of the, yes, we all understand that part of the reason they came back is because the government decided to start printing money. But the uh, but understand. Just looking at Para's nominal returns, they um, they generally over time uh, have been have been able to to beat their expected rate of return. Uh, the problem, as I say, isn't so much that the rate of return itself is is unrealistic, as it is that the um, uh, that the volatility built into to, to matching those returns. Uh, needs to be modeled elsewhere. They need to, uh, they need to, to, to sort of see, you know, run this over time, and say, well, you know, this thing is going to bounce around over time. If we have bad years at the beginning, what does that mean? If we have bad years later on, what does that mean? And they wow. do that. They they do produce a what's called a, stata- a stochastic uh, report every year. The 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 the, um, uh, the actuaries do that. But in terms of actual rate of return, I don't think seven and a quarter percent is unrealistic. My beef with it is is that I think it's a poor way to um, to to as I say just to say in present dollars, you know what is this what what is my obligation worth? I think you have to use a different number to do that, and so I think they continue to underestimate the number of dollars that they need on hand today in order to meet those obligations in the future. But the actual rate of return. Um, you know, if I had to, if I were a long-term investor, and the para fund, which doesn't exist, but the, the as a as a as an investment vehicle were available to me, I I you know might look at that. It's 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 it has not done poorly um, in terms of actual investment returns over time. But to get that rate of return, there there is risk that is involved, which creates that volatility. And uh, the recipients, the beneficiaries, are going to want their check each month. And so if you're having all this volatility and you're not putting that into the model, I think that's a problem. Chris, what, what do you think? Did we lose him or is he question. still there, Steve? Oh, okay, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Yeah, the, the real question is, if they do that stochastic modeling, are they doing it accurately? And then, how do you get them to tie those two together? Yeah, they—they they, um, that—that's probably it's hard to do on the radio. It's hard to do without pictures, uh, but they do do that. The the um, and and I'm not I don't I don't hope that doesn't come out sounding sounding silly or, or condescending, but it's hard to to describe. They do actually do this. The actuaries do go and run a stochastic model of this. The question is, 
are they taking into account? And this was what prompted the initial discussion and uh, was, are they taking into account sufficiently um, this sort of sea change in, in, in the economic environment that we've seen? And, and, and if they are not, and I'm of the opinion that they clearly are not, um, does that, then, then that sort of leaves us in the dark. It right, could be right. that inflation is a net zero. It could be that inflation, you know, salaries rise and contributions rise because they're tied to salaries and we end up okay. It could be that that doesn't happen, that inflation early but, on leads to, you know, we, do, we just yeah. don't know. And I think it's irresponsible okay. not to know. Absolutely. So, hey, Chris and Boulder, thank you so much. We've got time for one more caller, and that's Bill in North Glen. What's your question? What's on your radar? Uh, well, I wanted to talk about para. I think people need to realize how what kind of a lavish program this is. These people get 2.5% for every year served. Several years ago, they allowed them to buy years in service for 10 cents on the dollar. I know. And then before that, their market was doing well, so they said, okay, let's give everybody across the board a raise instead of building a rainy day fund. The solution to this is you've got to convert this to a defined or defined contribution uh, program and get rid of this, but nobody is willing to do that. Ask any Republican that's running for the state house; they won't. Uh, the judges are on it. The state legislature is on it. The county employees are on it. It's just too lavish. They're not going to give it up. Uh, same with the teachers' union up in District 12, where I'm at. In addition to getting para, they get a check for $86,000 when they walk out the door. It's insanity. Who gets that kind of money? Right. And again, to my point, uh, what kind of a nest egg do you have to create at the 3.25% to receive that? Joshua, we've got two minutes left. How, <laughs> try to answer that for Bill in North Glen. Yeah, no, I think he's put his finger on a, on on, uh, on on one of the biggest problems. That is true that there was what we call the fire sale on service credit, but he accurately described. Although that's two decades in the in the rearview mirror now, it was a huge contributing factor at the time, and it's a huge contributing factor to the problems now. But it, um, but but fortunately, uh, para members are not able to buy that kind buy it at that kind of rate now. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. The best way out of this mess is to convert it to a to a defined contribution plan. But nobody wants to do that. And and Joshua, we have one minute left. And and I I I don't want to look at this. I'm looking at this from the the dollars and cents component of it. I remember teachers that did that buy down uh, 20 years ago, and uh, some of them were 40, and some of them are going to live till 85 or 90. And so that's, and I love the fact that our our lifespan is expanding, but many of these defined benefit plans didn't really take that into account, Social Security and parent also. Bill in North Glen, thank you. Your insight is always so great. I so appreciate that. Joshua Scharf, you are just one smart guy, and I so appreciate that you're, you're on this uh, advisory board to PARA as well. We've got 30 seconds left. What's the final thought you'd like to leave with our listeners? Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. It's always it's always fun to to be on, but it's important that people understand, you know, that that they're on the hook for this stuff and that they need to keep an eye on it. Even though things look good now, you know, we don't know what's look relatively, you know, comparatively good uh, now, uh, especially with the returns over the last few years. We don't know where things are going to go, and this is taxpayers' money. They need to keep track of it.
Oh, definitely. So Joshua Scharf, senior, or excuse me, a yeah, senior fellow with the uh, in fiscal policy at the Independence Institute. Thank you so much. And they can find your piece at Complete Colorado. Just click on the banner there, and that'll bring up all of their essays there. So my friends, thank you so much for joining us. Our quote for the end of the show is Mike Ditka. He said, "Success is never permanent, and failure is never final." So my friends, today be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically. Strive for high ideals and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you and God bless America.